This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today we continue our third and final part of our recording with Tom. And if you haven't had a chance to hear part one and two yet, make sure to go back and have a listen. Before we get started today, I would also like to invite our listeners to the Bullet Bar this coming June 10th for an event called Scopophilia, a night for voyeurs and exhibitionists. You can find out more by visiting the Bullet Bar website, as well as following me on Instagram as LeatherTalkMrBullet and Twitter as BrandonBulletLA. With that said, let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more Leather Talk. Hi, Tom. Welcome back for your part three. You um, are a talker, I will say. Yes, I am. And thank you for having me in part three. <laughs> and thank you for everyone who's listening. If, if, this is, if, you, if you're starting part three after listening to parts one and two, God bless you. <laughs> like and subscribe. Like I, don't, and I don't subscribe. even know what that means. I, yeah. Like and subscribe. <laughs> I just hit, hit, sure. the, hit the button down below. Hit the button down below. All that yeah, good something stuff. like that. I don't know. Well, uh, Tom, our last episode, we left off on talking about, um, for, at least for, from your perspective and experience, what real BDSM means to you. And you, you've spoken a lot about Avatar off the record and how that was a, the majority of, of your, or a big part, at least, of your leather experience. Can we talk a little bit about that? Gee, me talking about Avatar, who'd have thunk it? Um, sure. I have been a member of this club for quite a while. Avatar Club Los Angeles, avatarla.org, as an organization that is celebrating its 39th anniversary this particular month when we are making this recording, and is an educational and fraternal nonprofit 501c3 organization founded in 1983. It exists, basically, we're there to provide information, give permission, create a safe environment for people, for men mostly, uh, to explore alternative expressions of sexuality in a safe environment. I remember that from the mission statement because I wrote that part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Avatar, um, I knew what they were. You know, you, we, we get a lot of newbies we get experienced people but we are here for uh i would say a big part of our constituency are our beginners um not all of them certainly and i think it's an important service i think that's one of the reasons that this club has survived for so long is because what we do is important it's important to not a broad swath of society but it is important to the men who find us i mean we make ourselves known we're not hiding but we're not huge and it almost really is almost like trout swimming upstream the people who actually find avatar are the ones particularly the new ones they want some place to go they don't know what to do and we provide a a structure and a framework for people who are curious for people who are beginning for people who are experienced to come and share and learn from other men and women, teachers, we have both, of course, we have all kinds of instructors, how to move through their own erotic journeys. You know, we, we uh, provide leadership and education, health and safety by creating strategic, oh, I don't remember it right now, it doesn't matter. But we have a mission statement, finally. We've had one for about 10 years. And we like each other. And Avatar, for me personally, after all the years in alone in North Carolina and with a very limited friend structure, 
I can remember I first walked in there in January of 1996. And it took me about seven years to get up the nerve to go to an avatar meeting because I knew what those people did. Well, I knew what they did. They were going to do things. They were going to take me. They were going to grab me up and do horrible things to me. Yeah. Now I can hardly find anyone to do horrible things to me. <laughs> I'll do horrible things to you, Tom. Oh, thank you, Brandon. <laughs> uh, and for me and my personal leather journey, Avatar has been my chosen family and is and always will be my chosen family. I came to them. So this is 1996. I got that first drummer magazine about 1982. I saw the Sean, that crazy ad and the ads from 1967. So my interests in kink go back a long ways in my childhood. I was creative, you know, um, yeah, I was just like, I just had a lot of creativity and I expressed it sexually. And I showed up and I started, I realized very quickly that unlike most of my gay sex life, these were people I was going to see again. Because mm. usually I never saw the same people again. I just tricked, you know, I just had, yeah, you know, just that jar full of names and first names and phone numbers that I never called because having a relationship would be too forbidden and was too frightening for me back then. So Avatar provided the basis of a community and exposed me to real players, unfortunately many of whom have passed away, um, lost knowledge, breaks my heart. And I started, you know, stacking chairs after the meeting. We used to meet uh, at the Los Angeles Science Fiction and Fantasy Club, which was on Burbank Boulevard between Lancashire and the 170 freeway on the north side of Burbank Boulevard set off the road in this kind of like again somebody's ugly recreation room one of these eight foot high ceilings with wood paneling but I remember they had an original Star Wars poster <laughs> I remember that fucking poster but they all kinds of shit went on in there and, and in the one archive we have photo books of all the demons many so, demonstrations so North Hollywood, Burbank? Area? Total North Hollywood. North Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, you get off, you go up to 170, you get off at Burbank Boulevard, and before you got to Lancashire and, and the big boy or the Shoney's or whatever it was there on okay. the corner, you would make a left into a parking lot, and then you would walk. There was a building at the front, and you had to walk to a building in the back. Wow. Um, yeah, and we did that for a few years, and then I think we moved to the MCC church where we've in somewhere between 2000 and 2003 I think probably closer to 2000 so we may have been meeting at the mcc church for a couple of decades now most oh. of most of my life well the chairs are good and they have air conditioning it's a church but some people object to it being in a church it's it's funny to me that it's in a church but it's also kind of fitting right we like i said the chairs are comfortable and the air conditioning is nice <laughs> you know okay but the things that I saw, I remember one time in the old club, there was a little stage, mm -hmm. and there was a guys up there. I think they were talking about piercing, and he had a slave in a motorcycle hood, chained up by his wrists, I think, to the ceiling, to the beam in the ceiling on this little stage. Guy had a big hard cock, and this top just took out a fucking needle and just shoved it right through that guy's cockhead, <gasps> right there in front, just like, just like this is what I train my slaves to do. And I was sitting in the front row and I was like, oh. Was he screaming? No. He just took it, he just took it like the slave should. Wow. That's what I mean. That's what I'm missing today. That's what I'm missing in today's BDSM world. You know, it's like. Well, I'll need to introduce you to one of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've done my own. I, I, I actually have, there's probably one great story I could tell out of the early days, but. You know, that Avatar has been my family. I have served on the board for many years. Um, I was just most recently finished up four years as vice president. I'm on the board still. I've produced events. I've produced a documentary, the 25th, co-produced the 25th anniversary, produced a documentary that year. Um, I produced, executive produced the 35th anniversary with a bunch of people who were kind enough to let me be the leader and do things that I asked them to do, and everything was beautiful and fabulous because of them. 
we did the thing at the at claw you know i was responsible for that too so avatar for me has probably been a different experience than most people in that i was able to find a place where i could try and do and learn things that weren't overtly sexual but still in service to the club and the community and do things like make a feature film mm -hmm. right about 2004 i made a 114 minute film that i shot wrote produced edited directed and then presented at the fault line in live called dreams of the marquis de sade and it was a four-part show where i was in a i portrayed for a couple of years we used to we used to have one of our events at the, the old fault line uh, when it was a leather bar um the marquis de sade's birthday about june 10th it was the birthday of the marquis de sade and as, and as this history has shown the marquis was held in an insane asylum outside paris because it was less scandalous for him to be considered by by society to be the insane than a sex criminal which hmm. is what his fan his wife and children were burdened with because of his outrageous behavior so i did it for a one year and then the second year i made this film and then i portrayed the marquis de sade live on stage we had two screens going one on the gas station wall and one on the back wall and i had a little bed with a straw mattress that someone made and so i was in my room at charrington asylum and there'd be four segments and they started with a crawl of the appropriate music i think it was mozart music talking about the marquee and who he was and his writings and all of that and then um i would be awakened and there would be a dream sequence so these were i filmed my avatar brothers doing real bdsm mm. fireplay fisting rope bondage the real shit um and then cut the whole thing together to smite kind of music from my era the doors and the dark beatles and steppenwolf and Jimi hendrix and things like that and cut this whole thing together into these four acts and then portrayed the marquee live on stage in a costume thank you perry for the beautiful 1810 first suit of clothes i ever put on that fit me properly was an 1810 french costume <laughs> maybe like, you were born in the wrong generation no i just didn't have i didn't have perry to tailor things for me bless his heart he took measurements and it's like oh this is what clothes that are supposed to fit you like for my odd shaped body you know so um you know i had experiences like that and and executive jobs i i spent a lot of time with gary um going over nonprofit governance which every goddamn gay group needs because everybody who goes i want to start a nonprofit, like oh jesus mary shoot yourself instead it'll be easier you know i mean it's just like the fucking laws i mean i turned out to be a geek for it i turned out to have a ability to read irs code and interpret it properly and understand this so i kind of got off on it um, irs fetish well just <laughs> i'm teasing you <laughs> well and i yeah i mean kind of i mean i remember gary and i gary and i actually went to an irs presentation when they were bringing out the new 990 forms which were for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And I remember going down there and, and being afraid to say the word avatar to the lady who was to design this new tax form for nonprofits. And I said, well, we're, we're a men's group. And I kind of described us basically, you know, what we do. And she goes, that sounds great. You just go ahead and keep doing what you're doing and have fun. Because even though we were kinky, we're still a nonprofit. And we right. still have the same, it doesn't matter, you know, what you're doing it's the dynamic of the relationships i said this earlier i took the names and the egos out of things that looked at people as how they were all parts moving parts of a puzzle like gears on a on a plate you know turning around and all connecting together and how all these parts worked to make a successful organization all that shit i was into i'm into i'm still into it um i saved the labb you know this is a famous story that a lot of people have heard before but um, anyway, with Avatar, I got to experience all these different things, you know, dealing with event planning and promotions and then new media like Facebook and um, all of these things enriched my life greatly mm -hmm. and, and, and gave me a, a, a healing self-confidence given the background that had been pounded into me, um, gave me a lot of 
positive growth. So I'm a big believer in clubs. I know clubs are hard for younger people because they're always instantaneously connected, but there's something very, very lacking in that. And I, and I think people know that ultimately they get exhausted with grinder and scruff and that's frustrating because they're lacking a real human connection. And I think that's the, if there's any difference between the generation today and in my, and, and back in my day, I, I hate to say that term, but because this is still my day, um, that there's a humanity, there's a human touch to things that has been eliminated, digitized, mm-hmm. accessed, provided, you know, produced, monetized. You know, your sexuality has been monetized through these apps as opposed to when you created genuine human bonds with each other first and then formed an organization based on your actual physical presence and Mm. your commitment to show up and be a part of an organization under its name and wear its colors and the club colors and where this is why club colors and are like at the eagle are so important those colors along that wall at that eagle la bar represent hundreds of men and thousands of hours of volunteer service that built the leather community in los angeles built a large part of it and i think it's i always take newbies every time i see someone it's like oh they don't belong here it's like hi how are you i do this it's perverse because on one hand it's like what the fuck is this person doing in my leather bar and on the other hand i'm always the one to go up to them and welcome them and you know, ask them about themselves because then I find out that they're just people or maybe they've never been in the ego before. They don't know what they're looking at. And so I say, may I tell you about where you are? May I tell you? And they're sort of like, yeah, 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 tell me. So I've dragged numerous kids through the bar and, and, and I say kids in a loving term. Um, I know. You know, and and she, you talking about 30 year old kids. (laughs) Well, 30, 40 year olds. Yeah. I mean, just people who, uh, listen, if, if, People, I think people understand, you know, I want, if if you're going to be here, if you're going to be in our space, which has been a traditional, was a traditional male space, and we're going to open it up because they're a business and and they are legally required to serve everybody, so that's fine. That's not a, you know, I mean, it can have some overtones of sacred male space. But it, you just want people to know where, where they are. Where they are. Yeah. Have an appreciation. Don't just come into our bar and fuck around and not know where you are take a moment realize you're in someplace special the people have dedicated their lives to and that's what i see in in the 25 years that i've been an avatar it's always different from the b&b to the oedipus to the satyrs to you know the la band of brothers to everybody you know that's what weaves the tapestry of history this incredibly fragile ephemeral history of our lives are shown through club colors and this is why i i wonder sometimes if clubs will survive because of the intrusion of technology and i think technology demotes human contact to a secondary sort of level and i would like to see it as a primary sort of level i mean that's hope against hope but I can remember times when it was the hanky in your back pocket and, a, and an extra long stare across the bar. You know, when that kind of energy was just raw and out in the open and was not intruded upon by pixels and 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 apps. Uh, and it's it's a it's it's a degradation from a point of sex magic and from a point of the kind of physical intimacy that I talked about in part two. It's a degradation, and it makes me a little sad, and it makes me a little glad that I'm old. I have to tell you, like, um, this is part of, I don't know if you ever heard me say this before, I've said it multiple times on this podcast, and I feel like that I was a gay man in the 70s that came back as this, I've been reincarnated, because I see images at the One Archives, I've read the Leatherman's Handbook, I see films like this film that I was discussing, the French film of times of the past. And I have a feeling of, I don't know whether it's nostalgia, but definitely a longing to experience some of the things that are depicted in those novels and movies, pictures. I feel like at the very least, 
I'm proud to be a part of a legacy, something that's bigger, something that's been built up to where we are today. And at the same time, I have like this feeling of I've missed out on the culture that was that long stare across the bar with the hanky in your pocket. Have those moments happened? Yeah. But is it the overwhelming experience that I think we have today? No. I I, I, I hate to say, but I think you're right. I, I, th- I think that you're spot on. And, and this is what I mean about the intrusion of technology. It's that I don't think it's a nostalgia that you're feeling. I think it's a now feeling that you're feeling yeah. that is being impeded by technology and that it's being is distracting and disrupting this sexual energy that I speak of in that there's just so many other things that have happened and the loss of that sacred male space which is okay because it's a bar and it's a business and they have to sell alcohol to their key demographic and that key demographic is young right okay and gay bars are not the in in context gay sacred male spaces were bars because that's yes. the place that they could absolutely and now we live in a time where that's not necessarily the and case. they're filled with phones and they're filled with and phones. they're filled with phones. Yeah. They're filled with phones and all of the kinds of non-gay leather. But a space like things. we're in now, your dungeon, yeah. for example. We're good here. We're good here, <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. And I think that's a, that's the thing is is like to let people know that that that's okay sometimes. Like, oh, I think it's I think it's more than uh, yes. I think you raise a very important point. There are. All right, I'm going to say this. I hope I say this correctly. I've talked about the need for sacred male space. That sacred male space will look exclusionary to some people, but it's exclusionary not on a permanent basis. It is as ephemeral as anything else at this point. Mm -hmm. The cost and the expense and the effort that goes in to carving out a sacred male space in today's economy in today's real estate market, in today's demands and surveillance and the world we live in is something completely different than what went on before. And our bars are, I think our bars should be open social places. I mean, it's, my, it's taken me a while to get to that point, but I, I think that that is what has happened and I think that's what is important because it opens the tent on, you know, and then on certain nights, you know, Avatar will come back and we did Twisted uh, on, you know, we did some great shit there. there t- but it used to be, it's, I think it's just hard for people who aren't of that ilk to realize that it used to be like that all the time. Yeah. And it's not like that all the time now. Now we're sharing space. Yeah. And that's a business decision. And it's also, I mean, it, it, in, in many ways, like it is a, a great direction to move, right? That we're all kind it's, of in it's, it together. It's, it's, but at the same time, you have the experience of that being your sanctuary. Absolutely. And you go back to that and it's not what it was when you were there nope. when you no, were 28 not. years old. No. And so I can't, I, I can understand that feeling of loss. loss. It's a feeling of yeah. loss. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that, so what is the response to that? And I've gone through, I wrote Jesus probably in 2013. Mm-hmm. I think I wrote a piece on Facebook. God, don't look this up. Called Re- <laughs> "Requiem for a Leather Bar." Okay, don't don't look at my head. Don't. Bother. I actually think I read this. Re- now that you Requiem just said for the name of bar. the title, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when Silver Lake became hip, and then there were hipsters coming in, and there were tourists coming in. And then it's like, oh Jesus Christ, the ego got mentioned in the mainstream media, and blah 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 blah, and it just went on. And and I remember Hunter told me years ago. That he said, oh, in five years, there won't even be any leather bars. And I freaked the fuck out. But I could, he was right. You know, this is, this is, it's just the way of the world. It's just the way of the world. And when men like you come along who long for, who feel nostalgia, and I tell you that it's not nostalgia, that it's need. It's need now, you know, for things that, have to find a place to 
live. Have to find a place to be, you know, because our bars aren't that anymore. They are on some occasions. They can be fabulous. They're still wonderful. I still support them. They're all wonderful. But it has changed. And these things happen. You, you, you know, I, I can't... I, I used to joke with Gary. I was going to make him a flag that said, you damn kids get off my leather lawn. <laughs> you know, and there's definitely... Oh, I would say there's definitely that attitude. But they're aging, you know, they're aging out. And it's... I think it's like... I know what I like. I personally, again, like I said earlier, everyone deserves representation. I cannot stress that enough. This is not about really about excluding anybody. It is about preserving an ephemeral, magical space for men. Mm -hmm. This is what I am about personally. Your personal experiences. Yes, I want, and I want everyone. I want everyone to be able to create their own magical spaces for people like themselves. Because what happens, I believe, in a larger community made up of factions, camps, segments, whatever you want to call them, we're a mix. We're an L, G, B, T, Q, and more. That's all lumped together, but not by us. We all know that all those letters stand for different things and different people and different desires and different drives. And there are times when they all need to come together, like fighting the AIDS crisis Mm -hmm. or fighting the rise of fascism now and in a Supreme Court that we have to fight against. But each one of those groups also needs time to withdraw into their own kind, Mm -hmm. to experience their own unique sense of self that makes them an independent and vital part of the community. They need to go back and recharge their batteries. I'm, we all need to come together. We all need to have a space where we can all come together. That is absolutely definite. I saw it in the AIDS crisis. It happened. It's real. There needs to be that space. There also needs to be spaces for every single group to come back together amongst themselves and feel that safe, that place where they can be themselves without restriction or compromise and every group deserves this everyone deserves representation everyone deserves the right to have their own tribe and i don't know if tribe is a wrong word now i don't care if tribe is a wrong word it's energy Mm -hmm. there's male energy there's female energy there's gender spectrum energy there's trans energy there's every different kind of energy and all of those energies we need to learn to respect and allow to exist uniquely and and together yeah so i think like the gist of what you're saying is like we can all be a family but we can still go back to our own bedroom yeah kind of thing we go back to our own hilltop our own i mean any metaphor you want to make you know, you can call it, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're a group of islands, we all have different islands. and it, it, it doesn't matter what kind of metaphor you or analogy you use for it. I think the important thing is, is that in order to not be turned into some kind of socially processed mush, we need to hang on to an identity. Mm-hmm. And if me helping young gay men learn how to put on nipple clamps for the first time, then that's my group. Those are my people. And and I include all men who present as men, you know, trans men or men. No, but it's interesting that you, you present that um, because I think that's probably for your generation especially a, a new thing for a lot of people. I remember reading about Christine Jorgensen you know, I mean, uh, that, but yeah, oh, listen, coming up, I mean, and, and I'm of an age, you know, and I was of an age back when I first met trans people. And I was like, that's totally fucking cool. Yeah. And, and it took me, it took me a little bit. It took me a little bit to understand. I had to read and think and learn and observe and, you know, kind of take it in because it was something completely unknown to me. And I think it's okay to take time to process and try to understand. Well, I think, yes, educating yourself, right? Isn't that, yeah. what, isn't that what it is? It's like, take the time to learn. I've, 
I try. I mean, I'm God knows. I, I I'm sure I've probably offended someone along the way, and not intentionally. Because trust me, if I want to offend you, you'll know. You know. Usually, it's just me well, being stupid. Tom, I'm no. sure you've offended some people. <laughs> but I, you know, I, it's, I, I, I don't. You know, I just, I, I really like. I just think they're adorable. Young trans men are just like, oh yeah. So there's something I've never done. Uh, I've never, you know, it's like still at my age, there's still something on the erotic journey that is like, what would it be like? But you're also at a time, kind of like you said, and I don't know if it was part two or wherever part we're in right now, but um, that prep kind of unlocked your sex life again. And it's only been within the last decade. Less than that. that. That's even been eight years minus two for COVID. Yeah, I was like, you get a little bit of light, you get a little bit of light, and then bam, the door, you know, the door slams shut again. Well, that that was my thought on, um, and well, oh, and I'm not going to get emotional on this, but um, so COVID, we lost a lot of people, um, and one of my close friends, um, who's gay, lived in West Hollywood, he did not pass from COVID, but he passed from other things i'll just say there seems to be i i see a lot of that on facebook i go why is this why are all these young men dying yeah no but he passed and i remember thinking i wonder what his last thoughts were i wonder if his thoughts were man i wonder how i'm gonna pay rent tomorrow or gosh i wonder if that that job offer is gonna come through like i wonder all of these things and i remember thinking like what's one thing holding me back from experiencing my life and it was really letting go and just experiencing my sexual self and that's why i asked you that question earlier when is it okay for it to be all about sex and this was this last year for me like as soon as i could get my vaccine we were out there and i could make the calculated risk that i was willing to take for myself that was the experience that i i thought you know I only get to do this one time. I only get to be here on this planet once. And I don't want to be questioning on my last days, what if? What if I just let go? What if I just experience for the moment my sexual self? And that, that was this last year for me. Letting, I, I have walked I used to think of it as the back in the in the day. I used to think of it as the when barebacking was rising before there was prep mm-hmm. and that range in the aughts and the nineties and the aughts. And I was like, would I throw myself on the funeral pyre? Was the horny god in me, you know, so strong as the is the Bacchus is the Dionysian drive so high to drive me into a tarantella of death, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, God knows. It was certainly appealing an awful lot of the time, given my circumstances, and I resisted and said no. All right, Tom. So we're at part three, and I have yet to ask you about your leather title journey. So, oh, um, we have about ten minutes left. <laughs> I, I can three. I can fit it in. I can I can do this in ten minutes. Uh, first first question is why, when, and how. 2011. 2011. 2011. I ran in CSW. Okay. And got first runner up, even and it was against quite a number of seven or eight different men, many of whom I'm still still know. Um, I was sure that because I was older, that I would win, but I got first runner up, and then I had raised enough hell in Avatar that by because Gary was president in 2010 and 2011. And and I was on the board then as well. I was secretary or some shit. And that's when he uh, brought all of this nonprofit governance to bear. You know, it had been kind of bubbling around the edges for a few years, but he really nailed it in. We got the mission statement. We produced this great BDSM book, which you can, we still have copies of. It's kind of blue on the front, a safe sex BDSM book. And uh, it got down to, it was very political. There was a vote count and... I was kind of radioactive, okay, kind of between an old 
generation, my mentors, my elders, and me being the, you know, oh, are we a corporation now? It's like, well, actually, we've been a corporation since 1983. You just didn't realize it. And lots of other stuff that, that went on then. But the vote was successful, but the term ended, and I was felt kind of like radioactive because I had been such an, an activist and, and a stalwart in changing, bringing about change and changing the the actual way the meetings ran and the dynamics of the club on a, on a fundamental level. Um, I wasn't alone in that, but I was certainly instrumental in it. I think that's fair to say. So I needed to get away for a while. <laughs> I needed to take a little, little break from my little chosen family. And um, he's dead. Steve Ganzel had been running LALC for a number of years mm-hmm. with his... His, his brilliant combination of smoke and mirrors and a stenorious voice that could hypnotize people, entire rooms of people, because well, that was Steve Genzel. God bless exactly his soul. Like he actually, uh, I have an episode with him on the podcast, but it, it's not my recordings. It's a, a recording from somebody else who... But he would look at you me. and he would say, hello, little man, how can I take you? You sound just like him, though. <laughs> I know Steve. I love Steve. I miss Steve. Dave and I wow. both miss Steve a great deal. It was a huge loss. Yeah. Um, also, George Wong. George Wong was an extraordinary person who was a mover and shaker in this community in the 90s and the aughts before his untimely demise and led me around and introduced me to people when I was with him. He was the type of person who was so popular, we'd be at some gay fair festival and we'd walk about three feet and people would come up to him and he'd talk with them for a while and we'd walk another three feet and another group of people go up and talk to him. And I knew who none of these people were, but everybody. George knew thousands, thousands of people and had them all in a database in his computer. That's another show. Anyway, George Wong. Um, your competition. <laughs> no, there was no competing with George. No, absolutely no. No, no, no. I mean, the question, your competition. My competition. No, I never told. George was ill. Unfortunately, George was ill by the time I ran. And I didn't even tell him I was running because he would have told me I was too fat and ugly to run. Why did you want to run in the first place? I needed something else to do for a while. I'd been an avatar. This is 2011. So that's close to 12, 13, 14 mm-hmm. years or so. And I needed a little change of pace. And my husband, bless his heart, was the, the pusher who said, you can do it, go on and do it, go on and do it, go on, get out there, go on there, go on, go on, get out there, get out there, go on, go on, go on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I was like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So I did it. And um, I competed for what I thought would be an easier title, which was Mr. Sister Leather, since that was not the big butch Mr. Eagle type of leather. I didn't have the pecs. I didn't have the body to be Mr. Eagle. So I thought I'd go for the, although I looked pretty good back then. Um, it's 10 years ago. I, I, I uh, competed and, and I won. I won the, the Mr. Sister Leather 2012 title at the Eagle uh, in October of 2011. Um, and by then I was well-versed in contests and titles and things and so forth. And I, my husband was very supportive of me and bolstered my confidence. And so I just went ahead and um, I probably, probably ultimately ranked the, the, I probably got the lowest score of, at the contest. I probably got the lowest score. I, I totally do not care because what I did, here's what I did that was life changing for me, the difference. I refused to sell raffle tickets, okay, at beer bus, fundraisers. I just, draw the line. I will not go around and beg for money. So I also refuse to do beer busts and fundraisers for being a title holder like most title holders do because I'd already done that shit. I didn't want to do it anymore. So I instead looked for something that I could do for a title project sort of thing and all that I could also do in perpetuity. So I went to the One Archive. And there, as a part of my title year, I took the training to be the an assistant archivists. You know, I learned the got in on the ground floor there with Michael Oliveira, and um, this is even before Jennifer, uh, the the old the former structure. And anyway, I made that into a relationship 
that was continuing that continued all the way up until I put on a show uh, with Avatar and the One Archive in February of 2020, just before the lockdown, which was a huge show of the history of leather in Los Angeles from 1945 to 1983, mm. which took up the whole upstairs, if you're familiar with the One Archive Gallery. I mean, it was a humongous piece of work, but I loved it because it was research and it was photography. And I had Lexi Johnson, who is the the chief there. She's brilliant. PhD from Stanford. You know, I mean, I've learned how dumb I really am by working with Lexi because she's so <laughs> fucking brilliant and nice. And she had no idea that there was going to be a leather show. And it was her first show in her new job coming out of Stanford. <laughs> and I came in and was like, I had worked on it months before and been away. And I came back and who's this woman, Lexi? Oh, I'm the new. Really? Do you know about the leather show? No. And I says, well, this is what we're doing. And so I was on a <laughs> steep fucking learning curve with her. Be that as it may, title holder. Um, I ran. I won. There is nothing better than having your name called on stage in 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 support of the title holder system. I think there's a lot of detractions that I could make about the whole process. I've certainly witnessed an awful lot of hurt feelings and exploitation and carelessness and. Um, I, you know, was very lucky that there was another Tom, hello Tom, um, who was our a guide that year. So we were protected from whatever that year's drama was. And we had this brilliant man who was Broadway trained and handled us and made us all feel like rock stars, all of us. And that led us through the contest. And I, I, you know, I, didn't win. I wasn't really prepared to win. I, I was more than happy just to compete as most of us were glad we didn't win afterwards. And Marlon, Marlon won. And um, that was all good. But what I got out of it was this relationship with the One Archive, which I then continued to do year after year after year. And so that was how I took an opportunity um, because the sisters were not very, didn't have a lot of direction. And I, I sort of like asked for about four months, well, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I didn't really get anything. I said, well, I'm making up my mind now because it's my title year. So I just went ahead and went to the One Archive and did all that. Mm -hmm. But that blossomed into this long-term relationship that led to eventually years later me doing this big show, of which I was also very proud. And that's part of what I think is in this community for people who are willing to make the commitment to a club or an organization or an idea you do not need a title to do any of this. Let me say that. Let me say that again. You do not need to win a title to anything in order to participate in this community. What you need is a vision and desire and a willingness to put up with the obstacles to see your goal through to its completion. If you do it, it's nice. I think the title holder thing has, as Guy Baldwin said very carefully, has evolved into sort of a separate fetish of its own in the leather community. Mm -hmm. um, because I've seen lots of people come through the process, came through our studios, bought our leather, learned how to use a microphone, learned how to answer questions and go through mock interviews and all that, who had little to nothing to do with the leather community. You know, I started working with the LA Band of Brothers immediately after my title year. And I have a thing about transferred shame. Like if somebody's up on stage and they're just like pitifully horrible and you're just like cringeworthy, I think cringeworthy is the phrase people use now. I wanted to prevent that because I didn't yeah. want people to have to go through that kind of embarrassment and that sort of experience. So we started to come up with boot camps and we had. I have a microphone and a little speaker and I teach people how to use a microphone and stay on it and how to answer questions and how to and coach people, help them with their speeches, help them. I particularly liked helping people, uh, helping men with their speeches because I would sit with them and spend quite a few hours with them and dig deeper past the community, community well, kind of level. Yeah, I have to take a drink too. I said it twice. <laughs> That's two sips. I said it twice. Two sips. <laughs> and get down to who they really are 
I would literally, I would, I've been through enough therapy. It wasn't that difficult to kind of reverse roles. Mm -hmm. And just because you listen, you actively listen to people. And I would get them to the point where they go this and that and this and that and this and that. But what I really think is, and I go, that's your speech. Yeah. What do you really think that's your speech? And then encourage them to enjoy the process, be prepared, have your uniforms, have your costume changes ready, all that stuff, all the other things you have to go through. And I got a lot of enjoyment out of that for a number of years. I spent seven years working with the LA Band of Brothers, four years on the board, two as treasurer and two as vice president with the lovely and talented Jeremy, who might be out there somewhere. Love you, darling. Um, you see, every one of these things that I'm talking about, from making the movies to the events to the contests of things, they're all personal growth experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's possible for people who are willing to make a commitment to an organization and stick it out through the bad times, you know, to stick it out, to, to take the opportunity that being part of an organization can provide you and finding creative ways to build your own life experiences and test yourself, not only on the bondage board, but in the boardroom, mm -hmm. you know? And so I... It took me about nine months because the corporation got suspended. Like we didn't actually exist for a few months. And I was like, just keep going, just keep going. I'll get this. And because I can speak the language, I was able to get someone from the French, a woman from the franchise tax board and the secretary of state's office to talk to one another, to expedite paperwork that revived the organization. That's the, that's the short version of this. And that's people, the short version Tom? The, oh yeah darling that's the short version it's me <laughs> it's me we're talking about here that's the short version so but it's well, also the complete version and and so from there on i went on and worked and, and we brought people in and did all these things and you know the contest my contest was kind of a blur um well let me ask you this and i feel like you in some ways kind of answered it already but i'll ask it again anyways just so you can elaborate a little bit what's the best thing for you about being in the leather community, why? Why would someone want to be a part of the leather community? And I feel like you kind of answered it in a sense of like finding a place where you can stick around and be a part of an organization and be present. But maybe you have a different answer for that explicit question. I don't know. Well, the, those have been my experiences, but they're th those are things that I, all of these things I undertook under my own initiative. Mm -hmm. You know, that to make movies and make programs and to step up and run events and all this sort of stuff. Um, cause I enjoyed it. And, but that's the nuts and bolts part of the community. Mm -hmm. That's what I used to tell people in LABB when, cause we voted, we had to tear down the corporate structure. We basically ripped the corporate structure down to the bare bones and revoted and rewrote it and everything. And I said, it's 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 99% fun and 1% paperwork. But if you don't do the 1% paperwork, you can't have the 99% fun. Mm. And ask anyone, whether it's the Boys of Leather or any other organization that's come and gone and all the bullshit that can happen when you try and start a nonprofit and you don't know what you're doing. Um, leather community for me, I guess, ultimately... Ultimately, it comes down to the friendships and the relationships that you make. I, I think the externals, I think particularly as you get older, the externals matter less and less. And you get to a point where, you know, you, you know you're not going to be going out to the bar every weekend anymore, you know, because it's just like, oh, my God, it takes me a day to recover. You know, after you go, hey, life happens and you... But what you're left with, I think, are the relationships and the mm -hmm. commitment to a community over time. If you're capable, if it's possible, if you don't have to move away for work or life doesn't take you someplace else, if you have the opportunity to make a commitment and follow through and do your best to build an organization that you can believe in, like I believe in what Avatar does, mm. is just extremely satisfying. It's like, I never had to walk in the bar and ever feel alone. You know, I was never that lonely guy standing up against the wall all alone. I was part of something. And 
you know, any organization has its ups and downs and it's good and it's bad and all that. And a lot of that could be cured by good governance. Um, but it's that I have friends, two, two particular friends that I've made that were, that were, that ran with me in, in 2012 and I didn't know them before. And I met them there and they're, they're dear friends now, you know, 10 years later, because when you get old, when it gets down to it, you know, when, when you'd like to wear those boots, but they just hurt your feet too much. It's the friends you have left. Mm -hmm. It's the relationships and the memories that you share together over the decades of being in a culture that is outside the norm, that is unique, that is rebellious, that is countercultural, uh, no matter how much it might get co-opted. Um, you know, it, it's the people. It's the people. And that depends upon your ability to be a good human um whether you're a cum sucking pig or you know or a top from hell you know uh, <laughs> who who you know or, or you're whatever you're doing you know it's like you're with people who understand that your differentness uh, with your sexual expression is communal and not divisive so I think for anyone really, you know, a title holding, it's a title contest, that's, that's just one way to do it. I think it's really about commitment, a mm. personal commitment to something that you can find that you believe in. And, and I think also, because I didn't so much, um, very few people make much money in the leather community. You know, bar owners, you know, places like Rough Trade, because they work their fucking asses off and supply things to us. It's it's important. I would say this as a consequence of my own actions, but it's important to make sure that you take care of yourself first. Mm -hmm. That you look out for your own future and your own needs. And that you keep your life and you keep your head on. Uh, well, not straight, but. <laughs> You why you gotta be straight <laughs> not get hung up looking for acceptance from other people mm -hmm. okay i think a lot of people a lot of new people come to this community and they they feel that they're not a part of it because they're not yet they're they're, they're dwellers on the threshold mm -hmm. and now those dwellers on the threshold could take any shape or form of any gender of any uh, inclination of any anything there might be anything now and mm -hmm. used to you know in, in back in the day it was a men's community and now that that door is more for any kind of person to walk through and that changes the energy in the room the the the, the communal room um which requires people who want to find space for their own tribe to create that space they can't take it for granted that you're going to go to a bar and find it but it really does come down to that. I wouldn't have any other place to go. You know, other people came into Avatar and were like, oh, this isn't working for me. And I go off and do something. You would be amazed at the number of people in stalwarts in this community who are working in the title community, who are working in other communities, who have been members of Avatar at one time or another. Mm. It's, it, you would be utterly amazed. So when you can be part of an organization like Avatar and be that ground, be that source, be that stalwart organization that's going to make it happen year after year, maybe some years better than others, we have a real purpose. I feel this club has a real purpose and we've, we, we provide a real service mm -hmm. to the community because there's always going to be somebody who's coming along on their erotic journey maybe by themselves or without much knowledge and we can change their lives we can provide something for them through our efforts and i found over the years that that's the paycheck hmm. that's the you know all volunteers must be paid you can't pay them with money because they're volunteers but all good leaders know that all volunteers must be paid 
They must be acknowledged. They must be recognized. They must be appreciated. They must be pointed out and thanked because otherwise they're not going to fucking volunteer anymore and you're going to end up doing it all yourself. It sounds to me like, like what's special to you is the commitment and being a part of something bigger than yourself and something that's intentional. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've, I can't say it's, I think, I think I've just, you know, really said it is that I can't imagine what the last 25 years would have been like as a lone wolf. Mm-hmm. You know, I see the difference between the brotherhood that forms and the bonds and relationships that form. We don't need a fucking iPhone. We don't need a, we don't need a phone. We don't need an app. You know, we have each other. And, and those are the kinds of real human experiences sans technology or minimus technology that are going to provide more gratifying life experiences in the long run as you get older to make it all seem worthwhile. Because that's really all you're left with at the very end. Your friends die. You lose them. I've lost my elders. You know, I've lost so many of my elders. People that whose homes I was in, whose parties I went to, whose hosted celebrations for us and are no longer... You know, it, it's and not to be morose about it, but it's just your lives are passing by moment by moment, day by day. Why spend them squabbling with each other? Why not find the real sex magic if we're a leather community, if we're a BDSM, if we're a sexual minority, which we are, then the sexuality to me needs to be a big part of it. And even when sex may begin to wane a little bit as you get older, then you realize that all these relationships that you've built with these people are the things that will sustain you as you get older. And that's where the great treasures are. That's where the great wealth is in, in your life. Because otherwise you can end up being, you know, a strange old pervert all alone somewhere, you know, and that who wants to do that? That's not fun. It'd be more fun to get together with your friends and, and remember the outrageous shit that you used to do, <laughs> you know? So yeah, human commitment to one another and and then from that human commitment and from those commitments to groups or or ideals or actions creating space to let that sex magic really happen you know create the creating sacred male space for my people is the ultimate so when we can do that at the at whether it's at the the Weston Bonaventure you know, in that beautiful room that we had, that Hercules room that we had, those are the things that go, yeah, it's like it takes you into a different world. You're, you're, you're apart from all the straits and all the government and all the restrictions and all those things that tell you what you ought to do and be and act, and you've created your own space and you own it, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it satisfies something really deep in your sexual needs and that's where the magic is and that's the magic i'm afraid that we lose when we get distracted by too much intellectualism by too much talk and not enough action by being picky about this and that and the other thing it's like shut up and fuck <laughs> I love it. Well, Tom, I want to thank you again for coming on the show and giving us three wonderful episodes of your experiences and knowledge. Um, besides shut up and fuck, do you have any last words for our audience? No. Just shut up and fuck. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. <laughs> shut up and fuck. Well, Tom, how can we reach out to you? How can we stay connected? I'm on Facebook. That's it. I don't do the rest of it. And you sound reluctant about that even. So Yeah, it's just like, well, I, I you know, I, as I've said, I've been very hesitant about this because I wanted to be able to speak my mind and I didn't want to offend people, but I know what I believe in and, I, and it may not be what everybody else believes in and some people may believe that what I'm, my thinking is wrong and I, I just don't want to, 
I'm not interested in debating it. I'm old. But I know, you know I know who I am and I know what I want and that's what it is. Take it or leave it. That's okay. And everyone's going to have their own perspective and opinion. And that's what this show is really all about is presenting those thoughts and opinions without the boundaries of having somebody in front of you arguing or, or getting in the way of you expressing what's really inside. But if you, I mean, if you like it. <laughs> if you like it, great. But... Here's the thing, we we have 80 plus episodes out of people sharing their own experiences, and this is yours, this is your footprint, and so this is your platform right now. Um, But I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Guys, as always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet, and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky. Okay. Oh, 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 oh,